Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Warren Treadray and today we're going into the world of AFL media and it's a fascinating world and misunderstood by many people. So to shed some light on what it takes to cover this fast-paced world of the AFL and what it really goes on behind the camera, we're joined by the Seven Networks footy reporter Mitch Cleary. Now Mitch has established himself as one of the most respected AFL journalists winning the Clinton Gribus Award, the Rising Star Award, that is, in 2014 of the Australian Football Media Awards and also winning the 2019 Best Feature Writer Award at the AFMAs and will be in the game for over a decade, starting his career in Geelong before joining Croc Media as a reporter and producer. Mitch then joined the AFL's media arm, covering many stories for afl.com.au, as well as producing a host of wide variety of shows. Well, in 2021, he jumped ship. He went to the broadcaster with the AFL Channel 7 to spearhead their network's footy news department. Now, Mitch, you've been a busy man. You're not an old man, so you've crammed a fair bit into a short space of time. Thanks for having me, Treaders. Yeah, it's been a bit in those 10 years, and that's where the old Croc Media days when I was a TV producer or I met yourself, you used to fly in from Adelaide to our Melbourne studio at Channel 9 to record the uh, famous footy essay uh, lasted for a couple of years. And uh, and I think a few years later, you invited me as your plus one of the, to the uh, All-Australian Awards when you were a, uh, you're a selector and, and uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's been good to... Uh, work with you over the journey and, and good to catch up again. Now you've outed me, mate. Um, yeah, we do share a few stories from time to time and bits and pieces. But yeah, I, I remember mucking around with you back in the day. I reckon you were rolling around with Damien Barrett doing some stuff for footy shows and, and you've pretty much been on the tools ever since. So if we go for those outside the AFL media world, they really got no idea what goes behind the scenes and very much so. We've both been in that space. You continually been in that space as a journo. Can be the... Uh, I suppose the brunt of all the social media um, trolling from people who just think these blokes make stories up. Um, what does a typical week look like for you as a journo? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess as simply as it sounds, you're trying to speak to as many people and get as much information as you can and make the own observations on what is a story and what it isn't. So for me, I guess uh, five days a week, I'm on Seven News um, Saturday nights this year, part of the broadcast, so halftime and post game on the, the Saturday night game on, on Channel Seven, and then um, yeah, just trying to speak to and, and get to as many people as possible. So a typical week, um, probably go to a, a press conference a day or, or two. Uh, you might catch up for a coffee with certain people, um, whether that be people at clubland, player managers, um, people connected to the game, like board members, or um, you know, you're trying to speak to as many people and. and Engage as many ideas and thoughts about the game as possible. And then once 6.45 hits each night on the news, you bring all those ideas and, and content together and display it as a, as a news story. So um, as you know full well, um, the more exclusive and the, the more unique content and original content, the better. Um, but sometimes it is as much about telling the standard footy news and, and telling footy fans um, who's going to win and lose and, and why they're going to win and lose on the weekend as it is 
um, telling them something that they didn't know um, before they flicked on the telly. You mentioned briefly there the coffee catch-ups. Now, all those people don't have a name. In the phone, they do have a name, and sometimes they're very reliable people because either they're disgruntled or they've actually got some information where they think it can help themselves if it gets out. How important are those catch-ups with those unnamed people who are very prominent in football? Yeah, very important. As you know, people like to, to chatter, and our job has almost been the facilitator is to get someone's side of information, process it, and then tell the viewers and, and tell the footy fans about what's going on. But I've found, and especially through COVID, you can do Zoom chats and you can um, chat to people on the phone, but nothing really goes and nothing compares to a face-to-face conversation. Even a corridor chat at the footy, some being able to chat to someone, um, whether that be you know an expert from the Channel 7 team or whether that be um, a board member you bump into or a player manager who's down there to watch his players' first game. So face-to-face contact, I find, is, is much better than on the phone. And then once you build a relationship with people and they, you feel they can trust you, that's where you can uh, start to get to a bit more information out of them. Because football people, as you know, treaders, are very protective of their patch and they don't like to spill the beans unless they can trust someone. So a lot of the time it's about building relationships and building trust before people want to tell you their side of the story and, and spill the beans. Um, and, and you talk about those little tip-offs. Um, a lot of those things people are happy to get out there, they don't, don't want it attached to themselves. A lot of people go, oh, well, you've spoken to the player and the, the player's tipped you off on that. But it's not necessarily the case, is it? Can you talk about where some of your most peculiar stories have come from without actually revealing your sources? Because I assume, yeah, footy managers and CEOs and everyone in the AFL wants to talk, but sometimes it's wives of girlfriends or the vet who was, you know, who was treating the person's dog and they said they're injured and not playing this week. Things get out pretty quickly and pretty randomly, don't they? Absolutely. I once instantly one comes to mind. I had a mate at a dental surgery who overheard a conversation with a player who was going in for some surgery later on and, and that's just purely because it was a mate. And, I, and my theory is, Treaders, is that everyone, no matter who they are, whether they be your hairdresser, the person who clips your dog, the person who serves your coffee of the morning, it could be your, your auntie that you haven't spoken to for three years. Everyone's got a story in them somewhere. Someone's going to know something someday. And if you're connected to enough people and you speak to enough people and have a strong enough relationship with that person, they're more likely to tell you than tell someone else. Nothing frustrates me more, and you'd be able to relate to this, that something will happen and then you chat to someone, oh, I knew about that a week ago. I should have told you. It's like, yeah, that's great. But if you can have that relationship with that person and they're going to tell you, um, that that's all. That's all it boils down to is is getting the information before someone else, and that's ultimately what people flick on the news for, and 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 check your Twitter feeds for, and um, consume your content for is that they want to learn things. I once worked with um, you mentioned um, the journey and previously working for Croc Media. Uh, I worked for Three W Sports Day program with Jared Healy and Dwayne Russell, and the biggest feedback I got from there was. People have short attention spans. The attention span is a minute 30 for the average human. So you've got to keep it short, sharp, and get to the point succinctly. And the second part is you've just got to bring one story a night that once someone got in their car, they've turned the car on and then might have a 25-minute trip from the office to home. You've got to tell them one thing they didn't know before they got in the car. And that's ultimately what we have to do. We have to tell people something they didn't know and give them a reason to listen to our content. You talk about that uh, footy journal and the content you create. Um, as a personality, obviously you're a personality in the journal and a human at the other side, which some people quickly forget in the footy media <laughs> world. But what sort of skills do you need, both sort of hard skills and soft skills to to, to be, I guess, a success in, in what you're doing? 
I think you need great people skills. You need to be able to hold a conversation with someone um, and, and lure information out of people. Lure might not be the best word, but you've got to be able to, to get on with people and, and have personal skills um, because if you don't build a relationship with someone, you're next to no chance of, of getting um, information out of that person. I think you've got to have a pretty strong footy brain and you've got to know what a news radar is if you're chatting to someone and they might mention something in passing if that just goes straight over the top of your head then what's the point you've forgotten something or it's it hasn't registered on you so you need to know what sort of makes news and and what ticks but but also you need to be able to hold a a footy conversation with someone if you're chatting to to people in the game and you're talking about you know i'm not going to claim that i'm lee matthews and know the ins and outs of of how to win a footy match but you need to know have have a various idea of what's going on um, to be able to, yeah, to get through a conversation and, and tell the other person that you know what you're talking about. Because if people don't trust you or respect you, they're not going to tell you things, are they? No, it's true. Um, also, too, we look at the um, media and how it's changed in your time. You know, we go back to the original broadcast rights with AFL and ABC, then went to seven, jumped to nine for a little bit, um, and then seven and ten have been pretty well around the mark the last few years with Foxtel. But how much has the cycle changed? And when I talk about it, is it a 24-7 cycle? Because I know you, you work on 6pm news with 7, but 7's got rolling news coverage from 6 in the morning when it starts with um, sunrise. So um, is social media now the new cycle that we're talking about? Or how does it work and how do you plan, um, you know, if you've got something good, one, is it going to hold? Two, is it not? And how do you roll it out so you get bang for your buck? Yeah, that's the daily struggle for me is you get a tip or you get some information at 10 a.m. Is this going to hold eight and a half hours to our news break at 6.45 or do I need to go with it now? And that's the constant battle. Um, every day, it's something you, you you play with in your mind. Um, you talk about the last 10 years in, in my time covering footy, no doubt it's it sped up through social media. Social media is the biggest game changer that I've seen in those times because um, even you spoke about you know, when I was carrying the bags for Damien Barrett, when I first met you on the footy show back in the day, he'd be working on stories for two or three days that you could try and nurse through till, till Thursday. But the odds of a footy story holding more than, than 24 hours now are, are so slim. And, um, yeah, I, I even found in my reporting that if you hear something, you need to act on it really quickly. You, you can't um, you, you can't sit on it for a day or two and, and, and sort of work around the edges and skirt around the edges and, uh, um, you know, take your time trying to get a bit of background. You need to go straight away. And the minute you start making calls, you need to be in a position to be able to go with that story. Because if the, my theory is if, if you know, then the odds are that other people are going to know and they're going to be working on it as well. And, and footy is a very competitive industry uh, when it comes to, to breaking stories. The old, you know, adage of, oh, there's more, more journos than players isn't true. They often say that because there's more accredited media in terms of, staff, producers, guys that work in the back of the trucks at the broadcast. There, but, but in saying that, there is probably, just doing the rough numbers in my head, probably 80 footy, 80 footy, 60 to 80 footy journos are always on and probably chasing you know, that story that you're working on at the time. Yeah, and you're also talking about that 800 accreditations. There are also eyes and ears who are looking for football content too. So whilst they might not be in yeah. your space competing with you as a journo, they're working for a network, they're seeing something, they're filming something. They're the guys that pick up on the issues too on the field if someone hurts an ankle, so to speak. Um, the other key stakeholder that's probably scrambled it too is Clubland, isn't it? Because they've pretty much got their own media yeah. 
um, uh, departments now. Some of them are running their own businesses for an editing and content creating point of view outside of football. So there's that element, even though it did get smacked a bit and cut back through COVID. Oh, definitely. And they all have their own KPIs in terms of clicks they need to achieve, sponsors they've got to hit. You know, clubs have their own injury lists, for example, and they're all sponsored now. So whereas previous, you know... They're not they're not too accurate though, are they? <laughs> nah, that's... You probably know one of my biggest bugbears is that Cub will put an injury list out on the Tuesday and it'll get to Thursday selection and this bloke has been carrying a hamstring all week. It's like, hang on, why was that not part of the club's injury list? Yeah. And that's where, as a journo, getting back to the core of what we do is we're telling fans stuff that fans obviously, you know, hate the negative news about it, about their club and they think we just make things up and we're, we're just out to get people. But clubs tell the positive story. So if a player's re-signed a contract, if a player's... Um, you know, celebrating a milestone, the clubs will tell you that news. But clubs aren't often forthcoming on their own platforms with negative news. And sometimes that's the way it falls at journos. Because clubs and, and other outlets are telling the positive story, sometimes the, the negative story is left to us, but the clubs aren't going to tell you that. And that's where newsbreakers and, and journalists these days are often left to. And, and just back on the club sites, that's that's definitely changed because almost sometimes you ring a club they're ready to go with their own statement on their website. You might get 15 minutes leeway with a story, um, but they've already got it sitting there ready to hit fire and, until you know they think it's going to get out. So, yeah, it's changed a lot in the space of 10 years. So social media and clubs own platforms have, have been a big part of that. It's funny. The recent one too is missing round one was Travis Boak. All of a sudden he appeared two days before with broken crack ribs. So he's gone to his sister's wedding the yep. week before that. He's uh, missed two weeks before that, but they were saying, "Oh no, it's just a small bit of swelling." Well, that's the facts. That you're right. There, there's not going to when there's a, profession, a professional competitive element in terms of does it affect a game and selection, which that they really get hush hush on yep. it. But you know, there seems to be a huge amount of competition with the journos. There's some that just go first and regularly get it wrong. Um, but going first is that really as important? As it is, and I know news directors say yes, but geez, it's no point going first when the world gets all your retweets and, and it's and it's wrong. H- how do you put it through your filter? Yeah, my filter is is well and truly has to be six forty five, six o'clock news is first and foremost. So there's no there's no real benefit in, in breaking a story on Twitter or breaking something online first, in my view, unless it's going to get out. So you know, let's say I get a tip, something happens at ten a.m. Um, and I think, well, there's going to be so many people that know about this. This is going to be doing the rounds. I may as well go with that and own the story myself and say there's going to be more tonight you know, in our news at 6 p.m. Um, if I think others are going to go with it. Otherwise, I'll try and sit on it and, you, geez, there's some nervous hours, 3, 4, 5 o'clock when you're, you're waiting to see if the story will hold. How many refreshes on your phone? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> refreshes. You know, Travis Boat, you just, you just search Travis Boat, you're just refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Um, but that's what I'm. That's what my job is to to tell people the news at night, not to not to tweet. But if I think you know someone like a newspaper journal or a, a journal online is going to beat me to it, well, I may as well get the ownership on it and and go with it first. Um, because yeah, that's just competitiveness. Um, but you'd rather put your name to it and say you'll you'll have the you know you'll have more on the story later. But first and foremost, yeah, where you can. 
holding the story or the news to the to the news bulletin at 6 p.m. is first and foremost. Now you talk about that breaking news and pushing it to a 6 p.m. I get that because you want to maximize your, your viewership for whoever employs you, whatever news outlet that is. But um, the most important thing clearly would be exclusivity um, and then the amount of content. How do you find the, the metrics? You've worked in radio. I know you've done some work in, as a boundary writer at ABC. You certainly work for um, AFL.com as one of their key um, uh, newsbreakers there. But TV, you've got a minute and a half, maybe 15, 20 seconds to sell your story in a live cross. Um, what are the most important important metrics with that? Yeah, it's it's a totally different ball game. whereas I was writing a 600-word article on the AFL website and now you've got 90 seconds and, you know, three seconds – Sorry, three words a second. That might be, you know, in a ninety-second cross, maybe two hundred and fifty words. Really, when you, you throw in a grab or two, so um, you've got to try and tell the story succinctly as possible and the key information. And, and often, you know, you could do a story that you do on the news for ninety seconds, but you might have five minutes of content. So you're picking the eyes out. What interests the footy fan most? What are the things? And I run the the, the thought through my mind is. What's my mum going to take out of this story? You, you know, you've got to capture people's imagination as quick as you can. You're not you're not chatting to the daily footy fan, that the rusted-on footy fan that watches every single match on the news. You're talking to to mums and dads, and you're trying to to bring the quickest, most succinct information in the clearest way possible. And the other factor is the vision. Um, you know, people don't want to look at my ugly melon for 90 seconds in a news cross. Oh, you got some new glasses, mate. Don't undersell yourself. Come on. <laughs> but you're trying to the, – the most important part of the newsroom that's often, often overlooked is the cameraman and the graphics and, yeah. and everything that comes with sourcing, you know, library vision that can help tell the story because, you know, words are one thing, but, you know, the strap at the bottom of the screen, what are the words you, you're putting up? You know, Travis broke broken ribs, you know, star power broken ribs. You can't, you're trying to engage people so that they might be – cooking dinner or they might be getting the kids, you know, putting the kids down to sleep and you're trying to grab their attention when they might not otherwise have it. You know, if you've got that vision of when it happened at training or if you've got, you know, this shot of when they go into the scanning centre, taking people there with vision is often an overlooked part and and that's a big difference from my previous time working, you know, as an online journalist when you just slap up one photo and you've got a chunk of quotes and words compared to vision when you're trying to, to capture people's attention in a in a visual medium. As you mentioned, though, TV is very different. It's a visual medium. It's an audio medium, so it needs to be sexy and look great and have the breaking news. You mentioned writing there. Writing is also you've probably got uh, one paragraph, maybe two paragraphs to grab the story with a, a sexy headline and a tease on a social yep. media. And then also radio, you're able to thrash it out where you can say something that gets people's attention, you know, He's the worst player ever. Why? Bang! Let's look at this, and then you and then you break it out. So it, there's different forms of media, obviously, to grab people's attention. But if I go to sort of the other side of the criticism and pressure of a journo, now it's a challenging ecosystem, as we know. There's a lot of people you're managing. You're managing your all relationships. You won't don't want to burn your contacts because they'll quickly close off. Um, yeah. And is let's face it, everyone's got a form of conflict of interest, whether it's a friendship or you know, you know, like many in the media, like Andy Maguire's a classic, David Kosh is another one. You know, these types of people um, can own media companies, work for major rights, be chairman of football clubs. It's almost pick and choose uh, how they roll that out. How do you manage your relationships in, in with your people? Do you pay for coffee, more importantly? 
to start with. Yeah, you try to pay for it. You, you tr- if you've if you've called the coffee, you should pay for it. That's my yep. view. So uh, always be willing to to pay for someone's four dollar fifty coffee, or you know, maybe a bit more in in Perth. Are you ever are you ever pulling in favors and and, and people pulling on favors for you in terms of? Yeah, it's a, there is there is absolutely that, but but it gets back to. The, the trust and the relationship that, that I've found some of the, the better contacts you have, they might have told you something that, that wasn't for broadcast early on in your career. So I'm not going to say who, but one springs to mind will be I'll have known something that was pretty personal. Are you saying they're testing you out to see if you can be trusted? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. If, if they can trust you or there might be some information that you've come across that, hey, don't report this because this is a bit personal, but next time you ring me on something, um, you know, I'll look after you on this. So there's there's all sorts of different things that, that go on like that, as, as you'd know from your time in, in footy. But sometimes the story is bigger than the relationship. You might have the best relationship with someone and it's going to burn someone, but if the story needs to be told, then it needs to be told. I don't want people to think that journos sit back and, and try and protect people. Like sometimes, you know, and I, and I was told from an early age, if it affects the game of footy and it's going to affect what happens on the weekend and, and winning or losing games of footy, it's definitely a story. But you know, I'm a footy journal, and if it's if it's a personal relationship about something, or if it's something to do with someone's family, off more often than not, that's a no-go zone. Um, you know, but Jeremy Cameron, we're, we're talking the week of, of round two, and his partner's about to you know potentially give birth their first child in the next week. Well, if if that means that he's going to miss the game of footy, then that's a story. Absolutely. But if it's to do with a sick family member, and it's it's not worth reporting. Um, then you're not going to report it. So it's just it's just finding the balance of what actually is news, and and being people being able to trust you and um, realize that you're not just going to run off and you know blab everything that uh, comes out of someone else's mouth. And is that where you've probably got a better moral compass than some of the people I know well in our in our my old industry, your industry? Um, the values come into it because if you have, I, I, I have a thought on this but for you the values come into it I think so yeah absolutely um, and, and people you know watching from afar might think oh just we're, we're grubs we run off and report anything and you know that sort of thing but if if it's in the public interest it needs to be told and that, that so there's one thing of that but yeah I, I think values come into that I like to think that people trust and respect me in the industry and and can believe what I'm saying isn't just been plucked out of the sky. Um, but, yeah, I think values play a big part in it, that um, that you can be a genuine person and and and, and tell the truth and, and be honest with someone, absolutely. Well, it's funny because I, I led you into a bit of a question. You had a pretty leading story when you were working for AFL.com when the players, all the AFL players or, you know, over different periods of time went into the hubs in Queensland and you wrote a breaking story which sort of highlight Trent Colchard's wife breaching COVID protocols. For me, fair game. You know what I mean? They were given a, a pretty fortunate situation where one of the only people that groups that kept their job got minimal pay and kept, you know, operating as normal when, let's face it, you're living in Victoria, I'm South Australia. The vast majority of the Victorians were locked down for nearly two years. So that was interesting, wasn't it? Can you take us through that? Because you were stood down from your job because it's AFL media. Yeah. It showed really the lack of independence from AFL media. But then because of the furor that it created with fellow journalists, the AFL realised they had a PR um, problem on their hands and you were quickly reinstated. Um, firstly, take us through the decision on the, the the story to run it and then also how you found that personally. Yeah, so I'd been I'd been given a screenshot of – so just to remind people, Brooke Cotchin, Trent Cotchin's wife, was 
the only partner of Richmond at the time, only partner of Richmond player inside the hub. Um, all players, families, staff were bound by the same rules that they couldn't leave the hub unless it was for um, essential items. You know, you could go to the supermarket, you could go and, you know, get water and, and meals and things like that. But decided she went to a uh, beautician, I think it was at the time, that wasn't deemed as essential. Uh, Richmond was hit with a, a $40,000 fine that came out of the soft cap. So getting back to what we spoke about before in terms of the moral compass and whether that's a footy story, well, it's come out of the, the footy club's money and, and what they can spend on their their staff. Well, yes, that's a story. That's someone's job. She hadn't, she hadn't been named, but I felt that um, at the time, the fact that it's the captain's wife, uh, then captain, I think he was, Trent yeah. Cotchen, um, the captain's wife, that that was a clear part of the story and, and was to be told. Um, the AFL didn't agree with that at the time. Um, I was stood down from my position for the weekend. And then, as you said, I, I was reinstated. Um, became It became quite the issue. But, yeah, at the time, um, I tweeted that and I didn't run it on the AFL's platform. Um, I was on a day off on that day. So I was actually – I can still remember exactly where I was. I was sitting there. It was COVID at the time. There was a game. I think it was Hawthorne were playing someone in the West in the hub and it was halftime of that game. And I thought, I'm going to um, tweet, you know, that, that it was actually the captain's wife that cost them the, the money. She hadn't been named at that point. Um, and, yeah, that afternoon uh, picked up quite a bit. I had quite a few phone calls from, from Richmond and um, from bosses at the AFL. Those relationships are all fine now. Uh, I've, I've patched those up. Um, like to think that we're all we're all good, but the AFL um, didn't agree with me naming her um, because they felt that it wasn't, um, I guess, in the spirit. They're just protecting their brand. Let's be honest. Yeah, they were protecting. And and conveniently too, you were smart to drop it at half time because it was it's a big traction time, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, and 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 going back to what we were talking about before, you don't drop that in the middle of a game because you. Um, People are watching the footy, they're not on their phones, they're not consuming content. So you're dropping content and being smart on when you do it is a big part of it. Um, and, and I still remember waiting till half time to do that. Yeah, you've, you've picked that up pretty well. But yeah, that was uh, that was 72 hours of absolute mayhem. And I think people started to realise, like I used to have a show with, with our mate Kane Corns on the AFL website. Yeah. Um, and I was missing from that time, from that, so that happened on the Friday afternoon. And then I went, missing on the Saturday show. So people started to ask questions and then before you knew it, it was out there. Um, so yeah, that was, but uh, pe- people say things happen for a reason. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, whether you, whether you like it or not, and this is not why I did it, but you know, that people, people know you more and, and people always like to talk about that story. So I've got an icebreaker treaders when people come up and want to know about media, you people are always fascinated with that one. It's better than the big scar on the leg. Anyway, you didn't have to go through that much pain, um, yeah. but I, I want to touch nah. on that. I don't want to dismiss that. There is a fair bit of heat. There's a lot of profile that comes with doing it. And part of that is what you love from your job. No doubt everyone's ego gets yeah. stroked, but on the other side of it, when it turns to shit, it can turn to shit. And I assume that was a pretty difficult time too. I know I spoke to you uh, personally in that time, but I, I suspect that you, you probably felt swamped by the haters on social media. You felt swamped. You felt probably um, let down by probably an employer. You didn't feel like it was justified. H- how do you deal with the mental health side as opposed for your job? Because, mate, I, I get notifications and there's some 
dead set knucklehead trolls who have got no idea. Even though you yeah. spell it out to them, people look on with their own club blinkers there, and then all their other issues that everyone's got in their life. How do you deal with that stuff? Yeah, to be honest, on the on the coaching on that on that one, I I was actually more overwhelmed by the um, support from people in the industry because I, I still remember that happened, and and then it sort of became public on the Sunday that I'd been stood down. And I remember looking at my phone; the, the phone was just like going bananas, as you could imagine. And I, I remember there was a space where I had a message from an AFL captain, an AFL coach, and an AFL president, all in the space of like ninety seconds. And I thought, gee, that's pretty good that people are you know going out of their way to support you on that. So in terms of the trolls and the haters on that one. Actually, it wasn't too bad. It was, that was more the support and the overwhelming. But yeah, on the other things, um, I remember early days when you're just starting to try to you know break more stories and, and um, you know you're starting to get more a bit more of a, a presence in footy media. Then that they would come, and I remember you'd read them all. But now it's sort of water off a duck's back. It sounds silly, but um, I don't really consume much of it. Um, you know, the the hate is going to always be there, and no matter what. So that sort of become second nature but in terms of the mental side of things it is interesting like i'm speaking to you on a day off now and already i've probably had what are we we're midday now and um i've already had five footy calls about things so you, you never really get a day off and it's about managing things but trying to turn your phone off or not not think about it where possible but it's hard because and I've listened to a lot of, um, you know, podcasts and, and interviews from NFL journals. Like Adam Schefter is probably the biggest NFL journal, one of the, you know, the big dogs over there. And and he often talks that he, he missed one of the biggest stories of his career because he was changing his kid's nappy, at, you know, for three minutes. He didn't look at his phone and then he'd lost the story. Someone else had gone with it. So the phone is always more often than not in my hand. Um, but, yeah, it's a fine line between letting go but also being on because you never know footy stories can can break at 7 a.m or they can break at 10 p.m at night well you look about that nfl stuff and and i only know mrs is, is wooj is it wujanaski is it adrian wujanaski is on espn yeah. like and he seems to the nba he's the nba nba guru it's almost like he's got a line to uh, he's hacked the the uh, nba servers he gets that many uh yeah. thing. but no he wouldn't sleep you know so the long days and a lot of twiddling thumbs at club, club trainings and press conferences. What's the hardest bit of the role for you? Is it the time or is it the lack of – I probably could speak to your girlfriend. She'd probably give me a different per- perspective that the <laughs> phone rings. And Is that the biggest challenge? Yeah. Oh, it's, I love it. So I don't want people to think, oh, whoa, me. You know, oh, we work 14-hour days and it's hard. I absolutely – if I wasn't doing this, if I was an accountant like my dad, I'd be – wanting to be a footy journal so don't get me wrong like it I'd, I'd be desperate to do this sort of thing but it's it's more the connection with your mates i, I say to my mates like I'm, I'm probably a good friend from november to to february and then i go missing for the other seven or eight months so you're trying to maintain relationships and get to weddings and, and those sort of things is is probably the hardest thing but that's what we do and and that's part of you know the footy industry is to to be on all the time and um you know, the old theory of if they're not training, someone else will be. Well, if I'm not checking out a story and you hear something and you don't check it out, then someone else will be. And then what are you actually doing with your job? So, yeah, I, I think um, as much of it is is maintaining relationships with your friends. Group chats are good, WhatsApp and, and Facebook Messenger and um, being able to t- stay in touch with people and, and hang some shit on your mates is, is good. But um, being able to actually be present and, and be at the bar and having a, a, having a beer um, might not happen as much as I'd like to. 
some of the stories you know that you've look, looked at and what people that know and might not associate with you know, the Liam Jones COVID story and he stepped away for a year. Tim Kelly trade to West Australia, back to West Coast. Lockie Hunter hit and run with a car and everyone can say, oh, that one's a personal one, but that affects the Western Bulldogs, certainly at the time, not playing, being suspended. And Dugowie, obviously, in New York. But the biggest stories, if we take our focus now to 2023, what do you see is the biggest story? You know, we talked Tasmania, we talked the racism thing with Clarkson and Fagan, the CEO still that rabble. Um, what do you see as the biggest story to unfold? Is it Tassie to start with? Yeah, Tassie definitely up there. So it's all hinging on the federal budget as far as I can see. So Tassie stumped up the money. The AFL said they'll come to the party with, with long-term funding. But yeah, the, what happens with the May budget and Anthony Albanese, whether they can stump up the cash is going to make or break this in my view. The, the thought of um, you know private funding for Tassie is there, but it's a little bit, it can get a bit convoluted when, well, it, private funding is not the norm across the AFL nowadays, but also with the, the stadium, you know, you need that for, for other events and, you know, cricket and concerts and things like that. So I think a lot of it that will come down to the federal budget. The The Hawthorne investigation um, is massive, still no timeline around that. But what does that mean for Clarkson and Fagan, two of the 18 senior coaches? Do you feel sorry for them? Because... They've been, if they're guilty, they're guilty, right? And you'll pay the consequences. But they've been hung, drawn, and quartered, no chance to reply. Um, yeah. And it's been unusual, hasn't it? Yeah, I guess it goes the opposite, doesn't it? You know, guilty in, until proven innocent as opposed to innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, there's been obviously certain parts of it that have, they've, that have come for those guys. But the fact they're still coaching on the weekend now and they're still getting to lead their clubs says to me that. Um, you know they haven't been too harshly dealt, but obviously the the opinion on people is is one thing. But they've had their time, and and they'll get their time to to front the independent investigation. So um, hopefully it all comes out in the wash that uh, whatever happened actually happened, and um, you know they get their time to to tell the truth. Um, yeah, there's 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 maybe a small element of that, but. They are coaching their teams on the weekend, so I don't think they've been too harshly dealt by. And Fagan signed a two-year extension a couple of weeks ago too, which I thought was a, probably a key indicator of where it potentially could go. Um, the AFL CEO, it was almost this time last year that he stepped down or got tapped on the shoulder. The press conference was quite interesting. He said it was his own decision, but not entirely. Um, I think this has been horrendously handled by uh, AFL House. Why are we in a situation where there's no clear successor and we start the season, and I get the new CEO want to, um, pick their next head of footy, but we haven't got a, a CEO who's going to make the next decisions on CBA um, and nor a head of footy and we're already facing round two. Yeah, I think it's been a big thing, the AFL. They, they won't ever say this publicly, but they didn't really have a, a, a successor nominated. You know, when, when Demetro was there, um, when Gil was there, you know, Gil was always seen as the successor to Demetro. He was the, he was the guy sort of next. And, and the AFL, whether they like it or not, never had that under Gill. It was sort of just an executive and, and no one was sort of standing out. And that's where we find on the weekend, Treaders, we just had round one and a couple of days after the first game, they're still being interviewed, the the, the candidates, you know, Andrew Dillon on, and Brendan Gale on the Saturday. On the Friday was Kylie Rogers and Travis Old. I think Tra- uh, I think Andrew Dillon, the current, you know, GM of footy and, you know, big-time legal counsel at the AFL, um, is still the favourite. But yeah, I'm with you. I think it's taken way too long. The only part of it is 
with the Hawthorne investigation going on right now, do they not want to throw the successor straight into the deep end and, and have that as their first sort of thing to deal with? You know, Gill's, Gill's got Tassie. He's got the players' bargaining agreement. He's got the Hawthorne investigation still, and, and he can manage those those waters um, as opposed to throwing someone in straight away. That's the only thing I can think of. But, um, yeah, it has taken a long time. The fact that they're still interviewing now is a concern that, that, that they they haven't found someone. And just on the head of footy role, the AFL says that they've got, you know, Andrew Dillon doing part of it. Laura Kane is, a, is an up-and-comer at the AFL who they really rate. They say that they've got that sorted, but it's not ideal that, there's no, you know, head of footy to replace Brad Scott when he got the job. What was it? September, October last year. Last year, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. Take a, a look forward to where do you think sports media will be? Fast forward two, three, four, five years. Are we all going fully digital and are things changing or do you think we'll still have your your mainstay 6pm newses and, and all that or do you think it'll just be more rolling digital coverage very much like a, you know, a Fox Sports used to be before they obviously had to cut their business back? Yeah, it's a fascinating one. I'd love to know because we could all become millionaires overnight as to as to where it's going. Yeah. The fact that my parents um, are both on social media now and and consume stories through, you know, that well, I grew up and we used to get the paper delivered every yeah. morning at the front, but Dad can read the paper on his iPad, you know. Now that that says to me that it's going that way, and and it's still, you know, I like reading a hard paper copy and a hard paper, um, you know, version in the in the cafe, but you know, not many, you don't see many of them around now. So I think it is going more digital. I think the short attention span is one thing, you know, TikTok, look at yeah. how important that has become. Instagram reels, you know, you've got to capture people's attention in five, 10, 15 seconds sometimes now. So the long form, you know, documentary type vision are great to sit down and, and watch on Netflix. I love that. But in terms of the storytelling of stories, it, it just it often doesn't work. So you know, you see on our news, you know, you've got a minute 30 clip on Twitter. A lot of people I know I speak to consume their, their content that way. It's a great way to, to consume it all. Um, people's lives are busy. People like things on demand. So I think, yeah, the the um, accessibility and having things on demand is a big way of, of where it's going forward. Um, you know, 7 Plus has become a big thing. You know, I know working at 7 now, they're, they're putting a lot of emphasis and thought into the, the viewer there. You know, each page, each team has their own page on 7 Plus. So if you're a Collingwood fan, you can click on, you get all your Collingwood content, you know, two clicks away. Things like that are a big focus. So, um, yeah, giving people what they want when they want it um, is changing every minute. But the short, sharp information, uh, I think, is becoming more prevalent as well. Yeah, and the next generation, my kids are YouTube and TikTok. You know, I mean, it's funny. I'm sitting there going, oh, I still want to watch the news. I still want to watch, you know, Fox footy and, or whatever it is. It's, it's, it is changing, as you say. All right, mate, just to finish with a fast five, an AFL player you enjoyed interviewing the most? Uh, that's a good question. Jeremy Howe. I, people at a barbecue or – yeah, it's not, sorry, I'm going, probably going against the fast five theory, yeah. but I'll keep this quick. Whenever anyone comes up to you at a barbecue or a party or you're at a friend's wedding, who's the best player to deal with? I always say Jeremy Howe. He's always got time a smile on his face and at least you can walk away with something. Some players are a bit boring, but I don't I don't think he's in that boat. No, that's good. Another journal who you respect the most and why? Respect? Yes. Uh, Cal Toomey at AFL. I work close with him. He puts the hard yards in. He was at under-18s games. He, he you know, hustles and hunts. Um, yeah, he'd be up there having seen firsthand uh, what he does. The weirdest footy or sports story you've had to cover? 
I working at Croc Media. Sorry, does it have to be sport? Doesn't matter. It sounds like it's going to be good. Who's the old Sydney president? The uh, he's no longer with us. Um, Doctor Edelstein. Oh yes. Um, I still remember. I still remember working for Hutchie, and we got a tip that he was flying in with his new partner uh, on a flight from LA. I had to go to the airport to get an interview with uh, Bryn Edelston and uh, the late uh, Jeffrey Edelston um, at the airport, and I was like 20. I saw this photo came up the other day. I was like 19 or 20, and I think the story ran in Women's Day or one of the magazines. It was bizarre. I, I got into this footy channel. <laughs> your mum or mum will be proud. Women's Day. Yeah, I know. Reading at the hairdressers. It was one of those. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but um, Hutchie did the deal. I went out to the airport and, and had to convince them to do it. They, they spoke and it was this thing. Um, yeah, totally. You bizarre. didn't get an invite to the wedding at the time? Wasn't Jason Alexander and <laughs> Fran there or something many years ago? I shouldn't yeah. know that. Um, what would you be doing if you weren't covering footy? I'd probably be an accountant, to be honest. I actually quite enjoyed it at school, as, as weird as that sounds. Dad's an accountant and runs his own firm in Geelong, so I'd probably be uh, an accountant living in Geelong, going to Cats games with the family. Oh, there's his allegiance. The Cats will watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the one thing you'd change about sports media, if you could? Get rid of the lying. I, I get rid of people. I'd love some way, and you can't do it because you burn relationships. I'd love people to realise that we don't just make up things as journos. Often people are lying to us, or um, I'd love to be able to call out the lying or the uh, the, the crap somewhere. But... Um, yeah, there's not much to be gained by calling out lies, but it definitely goes on. I've got a few that come that spring to mind. Well, it sounds good, Mitch. Uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate uh, you helping us here out here on The Big Deal. Um, and thank you to the listeners who are tuning in. And remember, there's a stack of great interviews lined up. So to make sure you subscribe to our podcast and keep tracking all the latest sports deals, drama and details by joining our community at www.thebigdeal.au. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.